This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. A billion here, a billion there, and pretty soon we're talking about real money. That famous quote is attributed to the late U.S. Senator Everett Dirksen. Has Kathleen Wynne taken it to heart? She's been on a spending spree ahead of tomorrow's budget. The latest announcement is free daycare for kids from the age of two and a half until they enter kindergarten. That's pegged at $2.2 billion. It comes on top of an expansion of the Ontario Drug Benefit Program for seniors, more money for hospitals, mental health, and special education. Some of these goodies would not kick in until well into the next mandate. And the context, of course, are rock-bottom poll numbers and the looming election. There's a lot to dig in here. We want to hear from you on your take. Um, any of this inducing you to vote for the Liberals again? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. In studio, I have Aleem Kanji, who is Vice President of Government Relations for the Sutherland Corporation, and Mike Van Solen, Managing Principal at Navigator Limited. And on the line, we have pollster Nick Nanos. Welcome to you all. Great to join you. Great to be here, Libby. Great to be with you again, Libby. Okay, great. We're all there. Let's start with Nick. Um, You've been polling on Kathleen Wynne. Is there any indication that the numbers go up when uh, she distributes goodies? Yeah, you mean when she throws the kitchen sink and the kitchen (laughs) at voters? You know, we can use so many euphemisms, the hail Hail Mary, maybe be the hail Kathleen. Um, In my experience, uh, so, you know, her numbers, her favorability numbers trail both Doug Ford and Andrea Horvath. You know, they're at around, you know, they're in the low 20s compared to Doug Ford, who's in the mid-30s, and Andrea Horvath in the high 30s. But, you know, in my experience, voters take whatever a politician gives them, but they don't necessarily reciprocate with their vote. So, uh, you know, when the liberals talk about, you know, goodies that they're going to do, they kind of note that, you know, voters note that, but it doesn't necessarily automatically convert into support for the liberals. You know, I think for the for the Kathleen Wynne government, they're, they're just looking at what could possibly stick. And, uh, you know, the reality is, I guess, if you wanted to be cynical, does anybody want to be cynical? <laughs> if you want to be cynical... You know, they can make these promises, and then if they don't win, it'll be somebody else's problem. And if they do win, then they can figure it out afterwards. Uh, okay. Uh, Mike, <laughs> what's your take? I, I don't think uh, the Wynn government got the memo that Andrea Horvath is actually in the witness protection program. She's nowhere to be found. They need to stop trying to outflank the left. They've already offered so many goodies. Uh, OHIP Plus has proven to be popular. Uh, the minimum wage work they've done certainly uh, appeals to a constituency of people that they were hoping to reach with that. But they keep spending money. And, and I think it's a you know, I think it will prove to be a mistake. They finally got the books back to balance. And, you know, if uh, rumors 
are to be believed. Tomorrow they'll dip into an $8 billion deficit again. Uh, That's I, not a rumor. The, they said that well, themselves. It's just, is it really $8 billion? Uh, I well, think I, I, they've, I, they've probably spent $8 billion this week. Yeah, yeah, I know. And and I just I just wonder what constituency of people they're after with uh, you know continuing the double down on spending for programs that they don't uh, they can't afford. I think there is a constituency of people out there who would actually just like to see them be responsible fiscal managers of our taxpayers' dollars. And those people they they seem to continue to abandon sort of time after time. Aleem. You know, it's it's interesting, and, and Nick uh, sort of captured it off the top, talking about um, the other party leaders. And, you know, poll after poll, um, report after report that we see consistently has uh, Andrea Horvath. In terms of her likability, uh, not so much the party popularity, but in terms of her likability, um, she is trending quite quite well uh, and, and higher than the other two leaders right now. So I think what we're seeing... Uh, the premier doing is is to try to go to that side of the spectrum. It's it's some it's you know in the left and and it is something and it is a place where she is more comfortable, um, and I think innately is something she believes in. And so you know these numbers, whether it's you know two point two billion we heard today, uh, in, in terms of um, you know free uh, free daycare, we've got special ed, we've got general education, universal pharmacare. On and on it goes. That that I think appeals to what she fundamentally believes in, and and what she is going to uh, to run on. And of course, the proof will be in the pudding tomorrow uh, when we see just how deep um, the the debt uh, is that that will lead us uh, that she will lead us into the next election with. Okay, so here's here's a theory that I have, and maybe I'm sure. kind of putting too much. Um, I wouldn't say a conspiracy theory. Okay, so uh, we talked to uh, we talked to Kathleen Wynne last week. By the way, we also talked to Andrea Horvath. She's not completely hiding. Um, I tried to call her out on that ageist comment where uh, she basically told some young people, you know, if 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 you don't vote, then uh, all the old white people like me are are going to run everything. With this daycare thing, I mean. The daycare could be worth as much as $17,000 a year to parents. So has she done some calculus where she's figured that if the regular people who vote vote, she's toast? And maybe if she can get younger people out to vote for a very what could be a very big goodie, then then she has a hope. Nick, does does that sound... It's possible, but to try to get young people to vote is difficult. And, you know, even with all the talk about more millennials being engaged, yes, they are being marginally more engaged, but they're not as engaged as middle-aged and older voters. I think... I think actually there probably is a method to this madness. It's like a, a one-two punch politically that the first, this is the first punch and it's on the policy front. And basically they want the liberals know that to defeat the conservatives, they need to try to consolidate the progressives. Sound familiar in terms of the federal party? They need to consolidate the progressives. So they're going to shift, you know, to the left. And then I think the second punch and the only way this can work is if somehow Doug Ford falters in terms of leadership, where they can kind of hold on to those progressive voters from the New Democrats and say, you know, Andrea Horvath is a great person, but the only party that can stop Ford from winning would be the Liberals. And, uh, and to force, it's kind of ironic, to force New Democrat voters to choose one odious and an even more odious 
kind of option, you know, and to say, we know that you don't like us, but you, you probably don't like Ford sitting in the Premier's office in, at Queen's Park even more. And I think that's probably the one-two punch, because there aren't, enough, there aren't enough young voters to overturn kind of the fatigue among middle-class voter, middle, middle-aged voters and uh, older voters from, you know, more than a decade of Liberal government. Okay, well, few. I'm certainly <laughs> relieved yeah. to, to hear that. Um, Mike, um, this is actually the first time we've talked since Doug Ford right. was elected the leader, and there has been polling to show that so-called, uh, he's not that popular on uh, people who would be soft conservatives, who would be willing to vote for a more uh, red Tory type Um but do you agree with that analysis? Why couldn't Andrea Horvath come up the middle? I mean, the policies, these liberal policies, they, they work just as well for the NDP. Well, I'd like to say that, you know, the liberal, uh, you know, what we saw today was completely crazy. But we've seen time and time again that there is method to the madness and they know what they're doing. They're really good campaigners. So, um, you know, while I can talk here as to why I don't think the policy makes sense, I think it's leaving people behind. It should be means tested. Um, uh, it could help a lot more people. I'll leave that aside and say that there is some method of the madness. And I think Nick is right. I think they are trying to uh, consolidate that progressive vote. Uh, they're hoping to pull some NDPers away who will see Doug as the greatest evil. Uh, I'm really interested as we start getting in this, what does what does a shy conservative look like? You know, the person who's not the card-carrying member, but the person who is willing to consider uh, today voting for the PCs. The, you know, those people who contribute to sort of the 40% sort of numbers we're seeing for them today. What will the bar be at? You know, I look in, uh, I talked to my Republican friends in the States, you know, about the last election, and they said all they really wanted from Trump, you know, you know, uh, um, don't be Hillary, uh, give us a good Supreme Court uh, justice, and, you know, don't cost me a lot of money. And I think there's a lot of uh, shy conservatives out there who wouldn't identify themselves as, as, as such, but who probably think it's time for a change, new broom sweeps clean, uh, don't cost me a lot of money, and um, and just don't be the other guys for four years, and I'm happy with that. And and don't do any say any crazy social conservative stuff that's going to make it difficult for me to talk to my family about it. Uh, Ali, I'll, I'll tell you where those shy conservatives are because they exist, and and there are neighbors and there are friends, um, and and we saw a lot of them come out uh, to elect. Rob Ford as the mayor of Toronto. Um, and, you know, a lot of them didn't quite want to admit that they voted for Mayor Ford, uh, you know, after the crack and after all the scandals and, and all that stuff came through. But they do exist. And they're not just in Scarborough and they're not just in Etobicoke. Uh, but there are, you know, middle of the road uh, people that, that are fiscally responsible, uh, that, that, you know, on that, are on that sort of conservative um, uh, spectrum, they're probably not as outspoken as the traditional conservative voter, um, but they do exist. And, uh, and so, you know, how those people get held, whether those people buy into um, the latest campaigning against Mr. Ford, and that, that's Doug Ford, of course. Um, there's a, a whole a slew of, of signs that have popped up across this city here in Toronto uh, that say, beware of Doug. <laughs> and, and that's a take on the beware of dog sign that, you know, yeah. we, we might have seen at many of our neighbors' yeah. homes. And and so, you know, w- will people play into that agenda? Will the, will the scare tactics work? I'm sure they're queuing up the greatest hits record uh, of Doug Ford right now as, as we speak. Uh, his, his opponents are to make sure people don't vote for him. Now, whether that happens or not uh, and whether people buy into that, that sort of um, um, scare tactic, 
We'll find out on the 7th of June. But, um, those, but yeah. those tactics only work if Ford validates them. He actually has to do something in order to kind of move the numbers. It's kind of like in, in all those other campaigns where, you know, for example, when the federal liberals kind of said that, uh, you know, Stefan Dion was not up to the job, those numbers didn't move until Stefan Dion did stuff that showed that kind of validated the conservative attack. So maybe the message for Ford is, you know, don't mess things up and, uh, and you know, and, and just kind of move forward and say that you're different as kind of like a strategy. But, you know, the thing is, is that the liberals can have these attacks on Ford and they can, be, they can sound clever, but the numbers don't usually move unless the target actually says something or does something to validate those attacks as potentially true. So, so far, he seems to have uh, received that memo. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's interesting, Nick, I've seen polling that says that the question for most people is being fiscally responsible. So didn't the Liberals get that memo? Well, no, I think, uh, you know, if you ask any voter in a poll whether people, whether the government should be fiscal, fiscally responsible, that always scores high. I, you know, I would say that there's uh, another factor that is kind of the unspoken ballot box issue, which is risk. People look at different choices. So think of it this way. So it's pretty clear from all the polling done from everyone that there's an appetite for change. There's been actually an appetite for change for the last number of elections in Ontario. But what what has tipped the balance in terms of the outcome have been perceptions of risk. That, uh, you know, John Tory, when he was leader of the Progressive Conservatives, introduced some policies that made him, made him look a little risky because they kind of, for some people, they came out of the blue. Same thing with the Conservatives in the last provincial election. And, you know, for the, for the Liberals, they actually don't have to be popular. They don't have to be likable. They don't even have to be right on any issues. They just have to look marginally less risky than Ford, and I, I believe, in order to win the election. You know, what we haven't talked about is these numbers for Ford are so strong that you know that they're going to come down. Because even if they come down and he has an eight-point lead, which is still a majority win, the narrative in the media will be that the conservative numbers are on the decline. You never want to be the campaign way out ahead because all the media will kind of report, oh, 44, now it's 42, now it's 39. And then now there's a narrative that the numbers are moving against Ford. So I think structurally he's going to have a problem in the short run as these numbers kind of adjust to reality. Mike? Yeah, and and you know I think conservative folks uh, like myself will be out there sort of reminding people that, and Nick, you'll have a perspective on this, but I think there are a lot of shy. This sets up perfectly for there to be some shy uh, conservatives uh, speaking to pollsters, uh, you know, people who don't identify as such. And I think his polling numbers may be a little higher. It depends on how it plays out, um, but I think his polling numbers may prove to be a little higher than uh, than some of the reporting we'll see. Uh, look, I I, I think. Uh, we're, get, we're getting into the, the meat of it, and it's on June 7th, what's the ballot box question going to be? Is, the, is it going to be the, this idea of risk that Nick brings up? And I think if the Liberals win, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be something around conservative issues. It's going to be a wedge issue around education or health care, and, and it might be a self-inflicted uh, wound because Doug says something that they're able to jump on. But if the ballot box question is, is, is one about trust in the economy, and we can keep, and, and the Conservatives can keep it focused on that, that's where they want to be, and that's what gives them the best chance uh, at the end of this election. I'd agree, and I think uh, you know, looking at this in terms of the issues, and in terms of in terms of Mr. Ford generally, 
Some would say we haven't seen uh, Doug in his in his element. He, he has been well scripted. He's he's read his lines well. We haven't seen um, formidable policy come out, and and I wouldn't expect um, the PC Party of Ontario to be putting out um, you know a, a policy playbook akin to what we saw in the People's Guarantee. It's not going to be a thick document. I no, think it's, it's going to be five things. It's going to be four to five things, very crisp, very very easy for folks to understand, um, and true to fiscal conservatism. The question is. Is he going to stick to that script? And if and if the wedge issue comes out, as we saw in the PC leadership campaign, some would say what what won Mr. Ford uh, the campaign was the the issue of, of sex education. Yeah. And uh, Tanya Granick Allen, Miss Granick Allen's uh, support going to Mr. Ford, and if that becomes an issue, to the point earlier around risk, folks may ask themselves that question. You know, is is that risk worth trading off? Whether you're in support of changes to sex education or whether you're not, is that is that risk worth taking? And if you are on the side of, of wanting to take that risk, or if you're on the side of fiscal responsibility being your number one issue, you're going to go a certain way. And, uh, and, and, and I think there still is a lot of time to be played out in this campaign simply because we have not seen policy akin to what the Liberals uh, or the NDP, uh, some call them the new uh, dental party now with their dental announcement, have, have put out. So uh, so time will tell. Still have a, a few more weeks to go, of course, in the budget tomorrow. I, I, I'll just add one thing, and you've made me think of it. Uh, I think the, uh, the presser we saw the other day with Doug Ford around the sunshine list was very instructive of what we can expect through this campaign. Uh, Doug holds all the binders and says, you know, here's the sunshine list. This is evidence of liberal waste and mismanagement and and fat cats getting lots of money. And the media kind of lose their mind because he doesn't actually offer any specifics. Uh, and and they say, you know, they, they need some stuff so that they can do an infographic and, and describe exactly what he's talking about. So they think he's really missed the mark. But how does that resonate with the average Ontarian? Do they just agree with the sentiment that Ontario, in general, the government's spending too much money, uh, liberal fat cats are, are, are getting contracts, and we need to have, bring some restraint to government? If they buy into the sentiment, he, punch, he punches through the media cynicism, and they buy that sentiment, and it makes sense, I think he wins the election. If he gets dragged into policy fights with, with media and others, and he's explaining as opposed to just driving messages, then he's in real trouble. Okay, let's, uh, let's take a couple of calls. This is uh, a really interesting conversation. Uh, Joyce in Scarborough. Hi, Joyce. Oh, hi, Libby. Okay, now, forget fiscal responsibility with the Liberals. There is none. Uh, the, the piggy bank... And not only is empty, it's broken, it's trashed on, okay? Like, where's she getting all this money from when there's no money in the piggy bank? It's gone. Like, I don't understand you guys. Uh, like, uh, like, side issues, uh, for me, it's money. See, I'm a senior. Uh, I have to carefully watch what I balance in my house. Um, now, like, uh, Libby, you should ask Wynne about the Don Drummond report that she tossed out, and it was physically responsible. She just tossed it out. And I, I, I was just gobsmacked when I heard that. I thought, and guess what? When, when you have a majority, you can do what you want. And all this stuff about risk of Doug Ford... Uh, what risk? 
have we got with him when we've got wind to spend money that isn't there? Like, as a homeowner and a woman, a single woman, I watch my money. Does she care? It's somebody else's money. She doesn't care. Good point, Joyce. And I don't Joyce. get why, why Ontarians aren't, well, maybe they are, but that's, you know, my take. Okay, Joyce, thanks for that. Thank you. Uh, so, Nick, I guess if uh, people are thinking like Joyce, then uh, then say something like the daycare uh, doesn't matter. Oh, exactly. And, you know, actually, Joyce puts a, makes a, a, what I think a quite an interesting point. Um, and, you know, we've seen this in other elections. The sentiment might be that among voters is that they don't want a majority government. The sentiment might be they want change and they want to give Doug Ford a try, but there might not be a big appetite to give him a majority mandate where, you know, when when people look at things. So, you know, we we saw that federally with Stephen Harper. You know, people were fed up with the federal liberals and the, you know, the advertising controversy, uh, advertising and sponsorship controversy. And, you know, when they wanted change and they were looking at Stephen Harper, they weren't sure. But they knew that they wanted change. He seemed okay, and uh, you know he won. Uh, he won a minority uh, minority government. Didn't have a majority mandate until he had actually served for a while. You know, that's. I think that's one of the uh, one of the plausible outcomes here, is that uh, that Ontarians get half of the change that they want. Part of it by getting rid of the Liberals because people wanting change on that front, but then uh, giving a Ford government a try, but not necessarily a full majority mandate. You know, it's interesting. Um, I uh, ran into some PC candidates Mm -hmm. uh, for whom the election of Doug Ford changed things. Um, That's people in Toronto who... uh, in a sweep with a red Tory candidate, might have had a hope of getting in, but probably do not now. So is, is that what Nick's talking about? Well, no, I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, but, but I but I think Doug does open up a whole bunch of uh, different constituencies of people that I'm not sure were going to be available if, if the Patrick yeah. Brown, uh, the, you know, uh, leadership had just sort of rolled along. Um, he certainly, he's already proven he can get votes in that 905 belt. I mean, this is what conservatives, uh, election after election, know we need to, to accomplish in order to have a chance uh, to, to form government. So I, I think he's really interesting there. I think it's really interesting what voters in South Western Ontario, Eastern Ontario, Northern Ontario are going to think of Doug Ford. They haven't had a chance to, to vote for a Ford. Um, they've heard a lot about him. I think his his brand will, of, of course, precede him. And, and I think they he may well do uh, great with them. You know, uh, you know that outsider status, that you know that populist, that plain speaking language. So I think he could do really well there. Into the four one six in Toronto, uh, you know, the really urban areas, it's still going to be a, a dogfight, and uh, and that's where I think. The uh, certainly the the NDP and Andrea Horvath are going to have to pick up their game because there's going to have to be some vote splits and stuff to, to to really turn some of those ridings over. You know, Libby, that idea of trying out the PC party, as Nick uh, put it out, you know, some would call it maybe test driving a Ford before you actually <laughs> you actually yeah. own it. Um, Good line. Well, I'm trying. So, <laughs> you know, so folks folks may want to do that, and you know, I, I think. In general terms, um, minority governments, and if we go for that test drive, if we go for um, seeing how this works, minority governments oftentimes keep the system honest. There's deal-making, there's brokering, there's all sorts of things that have to happen. It forces people to work with each other. Parties 
Um, along yeah, but if then somebody gets uh, gets a majority after that, for, forget forget the promises and the deals. Oh, those, those I, are, I think those Andrea Horvath can tell us about that. <laughs> no doubt. But look, you know, if, if we are headed for a minority government, and uh, and I think that's that's uh, not out of the realm of possibility. I think that, that's a that's a real and likely scenario. Um, it, it will force folks to work together, and so. Um, these issues will will have to find a place and he'll have to have, have to find some consensus in order for for Ontario to move forward now how how quickly we move into a general election after an, another minority government you know that's that's that remains to be seen but in in the short term it, it really could focus um, parties to work together and if and if the liberal government is that third party if they are they are holding the cards in terms of making that deal with the other the other uh, 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 two parties, and that, that that could be something that happens as well. I think we uh, I, I'm of the view that we exaggerate the benefits of minority governments. I served in that uh, first Stephen Harper minority government that uh, Nick referenced, um, '07 and '08, and you just end up being held hostage by the other parties. I know we have this idea that we're all going to work together and sing kumbaya and and, and <laughs> government will be great, but what happens is you get the the pet project list of the NDP if if it's a conservative uh, minority government. You get the pet project list. Of, of the liberals, they hold you hostage for, for those funding commitments. And I think particularly as a conservative government, it's difficult in a minority government situation to deliver on what your value proposition is to voters, which is some fiscal restraint. So, uh, you know, I, I've seen this play. We, we saw Stephen Harper spend a lot of money in those for in that minority government for that very reason, because you're trying to fend off uh, the opposition who who want nothing more than money to be spent and and have sort of a gun to your head, uh, a legislative gun to your head. So, um, look, uh, we'll see it. If, if we find ourselves in that situation, then we'll have lots to debate. Okay, let's hear from uh, Bob in Etobicoke. Whoa. Hi. Hello? Hi. Go ahead. You're on the air. Yeah, good. Um, I've, uh, I'm glad to hear some of these campaign promises uh, that uh, Kathleen Wynne is making, because the only thing she's going to do is she's going to draw out voters against her that might not have bothered voting. Because a lot of these people who have raised kids and didn't get these benefits uh, for child welfare, are going to say now I have I don't have kids and I'm going to pay for somebody else's kids. They're um, they will be wiped out so bad that the party might not have enough money to resurrect to run for the next election because it is. If she was wise and she wanted to give the party a chance, she would resign immediately, immediately <laughs> because or or it, maybe six months ago. Uh, no, six years ago. But it is 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 absolutely wrong. And and uh, but when she making these campaign promises, you know, like to me, my vote may not count, but it definitely will be there to vote against her one way or the other. Okay, and, Bob. And and I think she's going to draw out most of the conservative and NDP voters to vote against her because of what she's just been announcing. Oh. Like, but. Okay, thanks for that. Well, I'll, uh, I'll agree with Bob in that uh, Ontarians should certainly know who this Liberal government is. There can be no secrets. What's the old expression? You know, uh, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. You know, this is fool me four times, you know, shame on me. So uh, th this government, 
all Ontarians should know very well what it's about, what they stand for, what the, what's on offer, um, and, and they can't suggest that they're going to this election not knowing certainly uh, what the incumbent government has to offer and whether they, they want to see it uh, uh, re-elected. Uh, Nick, does that kind of, um, I, I would call that... Uh resentment saying, I didn't get this money, so I don't want to have to pay for it for you. Does that come into play? You know, it's interesting. When this came out, uh, I went to uh, one of our resident young people here who has a very small daughter, um, uh, but she's going to be too old for that money. <laughs> and and uh, he wasn't thrilled about it either. Also pointing out that making a licensed daycare free is not going to expand the supply. <laughs> Yeah, well, the, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, when you're a government that's looking to sprinkle goodies around for everyone, uh, they might be thinking, well, I'm not paying for that child care, but I'm getting something else in the health care system. Uh, but, you know, I think the common thing, uh, you know, so, you know, there are people that think like that, but I think the majority of people see through a lot of this for what it is. It's basically a political promise by a government that has been in power for a very long time. And I think even if you're the, ben- whether you're the beneficiary or not the beneficiary, that's the frame. Because the reality is, is that the liberals have been in power for a long time. They've had a lot of time to do what they've wanted to do. And uh, I think that's why it's, it's going to be very, it's going to be even more difficult than past elections for the liberals as the incumbent government to, you know, try after such a long time to kind of, you know, throw things out there because people will just naturally and normally be cynical about any of these promises. Right. But it's still, it's a lot of money. <laughs> yes, it's a lot of money if, right. if you have a if you have a kid that age. Indeed, it is. And you know, as as a as a father of a of a six and seven year old, um, we've missed the boat. And uh, and I'll put it on record: we're not having any more. We are not having any more kids, so we will not be the beneficiaries of of uh, uh, of this this new program. But that said, you know, I think there are people. Um, you know, my daughter was in the first cohort of uh, junior kindergarten, full day kindergarten uh, students, and so. Um, will will some of those parents look at that as as a situation that has helped uh, their families and and perhaps to the younger generation uh, folks that are having uh, children uh, in the years ahead that would benefit from the the two point two billion in 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 daycare um, it is a political promise at this point how it gets costed out i think is 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 a is a key question because at the end of the day you know whether it is daycare or pharmacare or mental health and, and, and increases in, in uh, hospital um, funding, um, someone has to be paying for this. And at the end of the day, you know, I think to Bob's point, it's all coming out of one pocket and, and you can't fool people around that. You have three kids. Uh, do yeah. you resent the idea that you had to pay and uh, some other parents yeah. might get a free ride? No, no, I, no, I, I don't resent it in the, in, the, in the spirit in which you offer the question. Uh, I, I do resent it as a taxpayer. And, and so we can even talk about what, what, would a, what would a smart policy choice, if you agreed with the objectives of, of this program, what would a smart policy choice be? And, and I'll give a, a cynical lens to it as well, because there was a choice that could be made. They, they could have taken that $2.2 billion and said, we're going to offer a rebate for anyone who has childcare needs, whether in licensed or unlicensed uh, childcare facilities. 
disabilities. Uh, I know my kids, uh, you know, three kids, they never went to a licensed child care. They often went to a, a woman who had three or four, you know, other kids in her home, uh, and slightly more formal settings than that, um, but never a licensed facility. And so why did they do that? Why did they not help as many people as they, as they could, but instead just offered it to licensed child care facilities? Well, uh, the cynical take would be that, that they're supporting their union friends, and they want to make sure that the the, the Unifors and, and other folks uh, out there are going to be on their side for this election, and they're going to need their 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 you know their men and women to to be stumping for them and helping out. So. Um, there is that. You know, they, they certainly haven't tried to touch the most families they possibly could. And the fact that they didn't means test it. Uh, you know, I, I, you know I, I've done well enough that I shouldn't get this benefit. Um, but but, uh, but I, I would. Uh, and not, by not means testing it, that really undercuts the economic argument that of helping out lower and middle income families more actively participate in, in the workforce. Uh, that's money well spent. And, and, but they didn't choose to target in that way. Okay, uh, Nick, I know we have to uh, let you go because you've got to get to uh, the airport. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Have a great rest of the day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Okay. Um, we're going to continue for a teensy bit longer here. Uh, let's hear from Dave in Hamilton. Hi, Dave. Hi. Uh, good afternoon, Libby. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Um, I find it interesting, uh, the mention of goodies all the time. Uh, turn that inside out. Isn't that more like bribes? And also the reference to uh, test driving Ford. Well, he's more of a a Mercedes or a topper line of car or whatever, however it's worded. So I don't think we can afford a Ford. I think let's give uh, Andrea a chance with her NDP. I think that will be a good for the average person. I hate that word average or normal or whatever. How or every want. day. Yeah, I've, all these terms exactly. to describe yeah. uh, middle class people, um, I find really uh, insulting and condescending. I have to say, who came up with them? Same here, Libby. I'm, I'm on the same page yeah. exactly. It's trying to define the word normal. Yeah. You know, I guess it's all relevant to whatever. But let's say the... How can we word it? I think my, I'm getting my point across. Yeah, put you are. Whoever is in the between the, the the wealthy and the people that aren't so wealthy, and maybe we can reference people that way. Okay, thanks. Or, or the opportunity. I haven't had the opportunity as other people have had. Okay. Okay. Thanks, thanks very much. Take care. Okay. Bye. And uh, Robin, Mississauga. Um, we don't have very much time left, but please go ahead. Okay. Just. Uh, I had a lot to say, but I'll just summarize it by this. I, I guess this last uh, um, enticement by Wynne uh, to get more votes, it just goes to show you that you can be school smart. So I think she's got a master's in, of education, but she definitely isn't people smart, worldly smart. I, I, it just, you know, it's a sure sign of desperation. But uh, what I'd like to have is that the, uh, the Ontario, the next government, pass a law saying that they can't spend any more money than they take in for the year. We need to start getting a uh, you know a handle on that over three hundred billion dollars in debt. You know, you know that's a, Rob. That's a really thanks, Rob. That's a really fascinating point, and um, a lot of the work that I do um, in my day job is focused on municipal governments. And, and to Rob's point, um, that's the actual same rule that they put in that the province puts in for municipalities. And municipalities cannot run uh, any any sort of debt, and if they are, they are reprimanded by the province of, of Ontario. And I think. To, to that point earlier uh, from Rob, it, it is to keep that, that um, 
fiscal check in place uh, so that so that they don't do that. And, and let's keep in mind as well that um, you know the vast majority. Um, of spending provincially is on education and health. And, of course, there are many layers within that. So um, how do we get into a situation where we are not promising things like free dental care or uh, expansion in in, uh, uh, pharmacare, you know, universal pharmacare for for all, while making sure that we are, you know, responsible with with the public purse? Yeah. Well, look, uh, fiscal responsibility is a foreign concept uh, to this government. Uh, and, and the real challenge is, the challenge is not today, but the challenge is if there are some economic headwinds. We need to preserve capacity as a government to deal with that. That's the time when you're going to need funding uh, to help out Ontarians, when uh, when unemployment rises, when we see interest rates go up. And and I, I worry about the, the we've given up that capacity, and, and that, that's what's going to be uh, really challenging uh, down the road. And for whoever forms the next government, it's just the, the limited capacity they will, they will have. And this isn't funding, you know, this isn't funding to help the economy. This isn't for infrastructure. This is for stuff I think most would agree it would be nice to have, but it's, it's, not, a, it's not a must-have. Okay. That's all the time we had. Fascinating conversation, which I am sure we will be revisiting probably many times before the next, the next election. Thanks so much, Mike Van Solen, Managing Principal at Navigator Limited, and Aleem Kanji, Vice President, Government Relations at the Sutherland Corporation. We're taking a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about something that uh, transformed the scene. It's the 20th anniversary of Viagra back after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.